0: Chapter twelve. We'll start reading at verse fifteen. As Lord, we come once again, and we just set all our hearts and just um, reading Your Word and making application. And Father, uh, may we sh- uh, be ones that are teachable and our hearts open to You right now, as we take in the Word of God and just being free from distractions. And and Lord, just uh, right now, just come with expectation that You're going to speak to our hearts. And you're going to touch our hearts. And as we come to the communion table tonight, that, that, Lord, it would be a time of of worship and drawing close to you once again. So thank you that we're here tonight. We thank you that we can read your word and know that it's true and it is profitable for for doctrine, for reproof, for correction and instruction in righteousness. And and that's uh, the way that uh, we want to approach your word here tonight. It's just benefiting us and edifying us and teaching us. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. And so in chapter 12, we're going to see that Nathan, uh, as he has confronted David, you recall in chapter 11 that it was David that sinned with Bathsheba. And David, who has been blessed of the Lord, we saw that very clearly in chapters 5 through 10. David was uh, defeating his enemies all around. He was uh, His name w- was becoming great because the Lord was with him. A- and David was one that was seeing the blessings of the Lord and experiencing uh, the blessings of the Lord. But then all of a sudden, as we open up chapter 11, that in the time of the year, in the springtime, when kings went out to do battle... It was David that told Joab and the troops, go ahead and go. And they were going to do battle against Ammon, an unfinished business, as it was in chapter 10 that we saw that that battle was taking place. And it was Ammon that retreated to Rabbah, and they were there. And so they went back to Jerusalem in the springtime when it would warm up again. They would go and, and, and try to take over the city of Rabbah, and we see that it was David that stayed behind. He did not put on his armor. He did not go out to do battle. And for you and for me, as we discussed last week, it's very important that we put on the whole armor of God, because it is a spiritual battle that is out there. And David, who had been blessed of the Lord, and David, who uh, was experiencing uh, tremendous um, blessing, and had been one that uh, he was becoming great among the nations and defeating his enemies, all of a sudden he became complacent. And in that complacency, we saw that he would fall into sin. And in chapter 11, we saw the progression of sin as David would see Bathsheba bathing. He woke up one night, he goes out on his balcony, he sees Bathsheba that is bathing, so he sees her. Then he beheld her was the second thing that we noticed in chapter 11, that is as he was studying her and then he inquired of her, he was asking about her and then he sent for her. And that would lead to him sinning with her. So David committed adultery, and it was after that encounter that Bathsheba would send a message to David that, hey, I'm with child. So David then tries to hide his sin, he tries to cover his sin. He brings Uriah back from the front lines from battle. He says, Uriah, here's a you know, gift basket. Go home and see your wife and have a good time tonight. But Uriah would not do that. And we saw that Uriah would stay with the servants of David, and David was surprised by that. Uriah, why didn't you go home to your wife? and uriah a man of godly honesty and integrity and character he said i cannot go home when when joab and the troops are out in the field doing battle for our nation and so it was david that went to plan b and so he said okay uriah uh, uh, come to me tonight before you go back to the field and david got him drunk but yet uriah did not go home to be with bathsheba so david at that time became very desperate and david he would write out the death sentence for uriah as he would write a command to joab he gave it to uriah and uriah carried his own death sentence to joab with the instructions of this, that you go attack the city, put Uriah on the front lines, and put him in the most dangerous part of the battle, where it's fierce, and then retreat so he is killed. And Uriah, of course, with that scroll that was sealed up, didn't even know what was happening, and so Uriah would die in battle. So David, trying to cover up his sin, hide his sin, for nine months, now that Uriah has uh, been killed, he took Bathsheba as his wife, and as we entered into chapter twelve, there was Nathan the prophet who came to David and confronted David with his sin and that 's where we ended last time and It was Nathan that told David this story that there was a rich man and a poor man, and the rich man had a visitor, and this rich man had many flocks of lambs and animals and instead of going to his flock and taking a lamb to to kill and to cook up for his friend he went over to the poor man's house who only had one little ewe lamb it was like a pet to him and took his lamb and killed it and fed it to his friend and david when he heard that this is like nine months after his sin with Bathsheba, nine months to a year and there is david he hears that story and he gets very angry and he says surely that man will die and nathan looked at david straight in the ice and said you are the man david you're the man you took uriah's wife and we see that as nathan would confront david david would say that i have sinned against the lord and nathan said to david the lord also has put away your sins you shall not die because what david had done in committing adultery and also committing murder according to the law it was punishable by death you shall not die but david you are forgiven And we know that Nathan then would go on and tell David that there's going to be consequences for your sin. The thing for you and I to be reminded of tonight is this. I'm thankful that we are forgiven of sin and we are not going to die because of what Jesus Christ did on Calvary's cross and dying for our sins. The wages of sin is death. Ezekiel says the soul that sins shall surely die and all of us have sinned, and we have forgiveness of sin because of what Jesus Christ has done and dying on Calvary's cross for you and for me, dying for our sins. And as we come and as we turn to Him and surrender our hearts to Him, as we come in faith and trust, then we have forgiveness of sin. And we also know that as we live this life, that in first John chapter one, verse nine, it says that if we do sin, if we confess that sin, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, because we do continue to struggle in the flesh. We continue to sin. And and just because we are Christians doesn't mean that we're sinless. It should mean that as we continue to walk with the Lord, we do sin less. But in those times that we sin, I am so thankful that we can go to the Lord and just receive his mercy and his grace once again. Lord, forgive me. I have sinned, but we need to understand something that even though God's mercy and grace continues to be extended to us and that forgiveness he has for us. And even though his love remains for us, there is consequences for sin. And that's what Nathan would tell david david there's going to be consequences for your sin you're going to know violence and bloodshed in your own family adversity is going to come to your house and and someone's going to take your wives and, and do this shameful act and do it before israel and the ironic thing about sin is this oftentimes when people are involved in sin and particularly this kind of sin they may try to hide it an adulterous relationship but it may be something else Maybe being dishonest at work. Maybe, you know, pulling up things on the computer that you shouldn't be seeing. Whatever it might mean. There are those who will do that in secret, but it's always open and naked before the Lord. The consequences, the consequences of sin will be seen by many. And we do see the consequences of sin, don't we? We see consequences of disobedience in people's lives and ruined Marriages and and, and families that are struggling, and we grieve about that, don't we? There's a very important principle in the book of Galatians chapter 6. You know that principle, that whatever a man sows, so shall he reap. And none of us are exempt from that. And if you sow into the spirit of the spirit, you're going to reap everlasting life. But if you sow into the flesh of the flesh, you're going to reap corruption. And that is true for all of us. So the thing here that we learn is stay away from sin. And David, he would, in this progression, he would see her, he beheld her, he inquired of her, and then he sent for her and he fell into this sin. David repented. He was forgiven. But now we're going to see he's going to experience serious consequences because of it. And David, you've caused the enemies of God to blaspheme his name, and also the child that is born to you shall surely die. So verse 15 of chapter 12 then Nathan departed to his house, and the Lord struck that child that Uriah's wife bore to David and became ill. And David therefore pleaded with God for the child, and David fasted and went in and lay all night on the ground. And so the elders of the house arose and went to him to raise him up from the ground, but he would not, nor did he eat food with them. And so we see the death of David's son here. And We see that David is fasting and he's praying. He's on his face on the ground. He's seeking the Lord's mercy and grace. And he's he's not eating and his servants are trying to pick him up, but he wouldn't even rise up. And sometimes we can read this and people will ask me, why did God strike this child? Because of David's sin and Bathsheba's sin. And the answer that I have is, I don't know. That I don't know. But I do know this, that the innocent suffer because of the sins of others. And we see that, don't we? And this child is being struck by the Lord. And David is seeking God's mercy in this. And so he's there fasting, and he's on his face before the Lord. And then on the seventh day, it came to pass that the child died, and the servants of David were afraid to tell him that the child was dead. For they said, Indeed, while the child was alive, we spoke to him, and he would not heed our voice. How can we tell him that the child is dead? He may do some harm. So the child dies after seven days, David fasting, seeking the Lord. He's not eating. He's on his face before the Lord. And the child dies, and the servants are afraid to tell David. We don't know what's going to happen. How is he going to respond to this? And, of course, having a child die is is a great, great grief. Having somebody very close to you pass away brings great sorrow and grief to our hearts. Certainly it does. One of the hardest things, if it is not the hardest thing, that I have had to do as a pastor and as a chaplain for the sheriff's office is to give death notifications and to be... There to tell somebody that your father or your child was in a car wreck and they're not coming home. Or to have to tell somebody that a loved one has passed on is a very, very difficult thing to do. And here the servants understandably. They don't know what David is going to do because he's been on his face. He's been seeking the Lord. Will he do some harm? In verse 19, when David saw that his servants were whispering, David perceived that the child was dead. And therefore, David said to his servants, Is the child dead? And they said, He is dead. So David, he knows something's going on. He perceives that the child is dead. They tell him, and and we see the response of David as David arose from the ground and washed and anointed himself, and changed his clothes, and he went into the house of the Lord and worshiped. And then he went to his own house, and when he requested they set food before him, and he ate. And then his servant said to him, What is this that you have done? You fasted and wept for the child while he was alive, but when the child died you arose and ate food. And he said, While the child was alive I fasted and wept, for I said, Who can tell whether the Lord will be gracious to me that the child may live? In verse 23, but now he is dead, why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? I shall go to him, but he shall not return to me. So the response of David here is kind of surprising to his servants. He hears the death of his child. He gets up. He goes in verse um, 20 to the house of the Lord. He worships, and then he goes home. He washes himself. He anoints himself. He eats um, food that is set before him, and the servants are saying, David, what's going on? Before, you were, you know, we couldn't do anything with you. We couldn't even raise you up off the ground. But all of a sudden, you arise and you're eating food right now. And David says something that I hope brings comfort to us, to us who perhaps, anyone who has lost a child, anyone who has lost a loved one that is in the Lord, that we can know that we're going to see them again someday. Because David says to them, I was seeking God's mercy, that perhaps that he would extend his mercy and grace to me, but I know that I'm not going to go, you know, the child isn't going to come to me, that I'm going to go to him. And I hope that brings comfort to us who have lost loved ones, that have gone on before us, maybe even a child. As David gives us a very important truth, I can't bring them back, and they're not going to come back, but I'm going to go to them. And that's a comfort that we can have when we do lose somebody that is close to us, a child or somebody that, that is a Christian, that, that we know, a loved one, a spouse, that we're going to see them again. I know that when my father passed away last year, that was great comfort to me and my family, to know that I'm going to see my dad once again. And I've had people in this fellowship, that's, I've done a number of memorial services that I know that we're going to see them once again. But that brings great comfort to us. That's what Peter would call living hope in his first epistle. It's a living hope. It's not a dead hope. And even though we experience the sorrow and the grief and, and we go through that process, Deep down inside, we can have that joy unspeakable. Deep down inside, we have that hope and that comfort that the Lord gives to us because we know that we're going to see them once again. Those who have gone on before us in Christ. Maybe a child that perhaps that you have experienced a loss with. We can have this hope here that David brings that I shall go to him but he will not return to me. And in verse 24, Then David comforted Bathsheba his wife and went into her and lay with her. So she bore a son, and he called his name Solomon. Now the Lord loved him. And he went... Sent word by the hand of Nathan the prophet. So he called his name Jedediah because of the Lord. So now the birth of Solomon is David and Bathsheba have another son named Solomon. And it is Nathan that called him Jedediah, which means beloved of the Lord. Now we know that Solomon is going to be the one that's going to succeed David as he will be king after the death of David, after his father passes on and Solomon will be the one that will build the temple and lead the nation into its greatest prosperity that it ever experienced in its history. Solomon, again, his name, Jedidiah, beloved of the Lord. It's interesting that as you look at the Old Testament, that Daniel was called beloved of the Lord. We also know that in the New Testament, John was called the beloved. But do you realize that John later on in his epistle in 1 John would say that you and I are beloved of the Lord? And I hope that you always remember that. Do you realize that your name, in a sense, is Jedidiah? Because you are beloved of the Lord. And the Lord loves you. And His love remains with you. You are beloved of the Lord. And sometimes I feel like, Lord, how could you love somebody like me? I don't know, but He declares it. And I just rejoice in that. That, Lord, You declare Your love for me, that I am beloved. And I hope that you always remember that and don't doubt that. That you are beloved of the Lord. That you are Jedediah. And so verse 26, Now Joab fought against Rabbah of the city of Ammon and took the royal city. And Joab sent messengers to David and said, I have fought against Rabbah and I have taken the city's water supply. Now therefore gather the rest of the people together and encamp against the city and take it, lest I take the city and it be called after my name. So here is Joab. He's about ready to take this city Rabbah that we had been looking at and talking about since chapter 10. And finally, the city's going to fall. They took the water supply. So Joab sends a message back to David. David, you need to come here because if I take this city, they might name the city after me. And you're the one, you're the king. You need to be here for this, for this final assault. So you get the proper recognition. And that's what Joab is concerned about. And that's what he wants. And so verse... Twenty-nine. David gathered all the people together and went to Rabbah and fought against it and took it. And then he took the king's crown from his head and it weighed uh, was a talent of gold with precious stones and it was set on David's head. And he brought out the spoiled the city in great abundance. And he brought out the people who were in it and put them to work with saws and iron picks and iron axes and made them cross over to the brickworks. So he did to all the cities of the people of Ammon. Then David and all the people returned. To Jerusalem, And so here David takes the city, he takes the spoils. But notice that David, that he received victory after he had repented. We saw in chapter 12, David's confessing his sin. He's repented of his sin. Oh, there's going to be consequences, David. But he has victory here. And I want to leave this chapter with this thought. That the same thing is true with you and with me. That after there is repentance, that's when we're going to experience true spiritual victory in our lives. And in those times where perhaps we're struggling with sin or an issue with the flesh or in in pursuing sin, there needs to be repentance in that time, a turning to the Lord, crying out for help, a surrender to Him. And as we do, that's when you're going to experience the victory in your life spiritually. Turn to the Lord, surrender to Him, confess it. Throw yourself at, in his love and mercy. Tell him you need help. Lord, help me to, with the struggle to flesh. Turn away from any sinful activity or involvement that, you, that is in your life and allow the Lord to give you that spiritual victory as you do repent. Simply just means turning direction and, and going to the Lord and, and just surrendering to him. And following after him, so chapter thirteen. After this, Absalom and the son David, um, son of David, had a lovely sister whose name was Tamar. And Amnon, the son of David, loved her. And Amnon was so distressed over his sister Tamar that he became sick, for she was a virgin, and it was improper for Amnon to do anything to her. So chapter thirteen opens with an introduction to Absalom. Absalom is David's son. And Absalom has a sister, Tamar. And they were children of David through David's wife, Mahaka. And Mahaka, she was the daughter of Talmai, king of Geshur. Now, Gesher was in that area north and east of Israel, up in that area what we call today Syria. So they were brothers and sisters from David's you know, one wife, Mahaka. Remember, David has multiple wives and concubines now. And now we also know that David... Uh, had another wife, and from the wife of Abinahem, the Jezreelites, was his first son, Amnon. And this is Amnon here that is distressed over his half-sister, Tamar. And Amnon, as he was the firstborn son, he had a privileged status. He would, according to the law, have a double inheritance. He would receive a blessing. He really, Amnon, is the crown prince to be first in the line to be the next king after the death of david and remember at this time this is a mighty kingdom david has defeated his enemies the nation is coming into great prosperity and power and amnon seems to have a great life ahead of him but we see that he's so full of lust as he is lusting after his half-sister tomorrow as we continue in verse 3 but amnon had a friend whose name was uh, Jonadab, the son of Shimea, and David's brother. Now, Jonadab was a very crafty man. And he said to him, Why are you, the king's son, becoming thinner day after day? Will you not tell me? And Amnon said to him, I love Tamar, my brother Absalom's sister. Here the text says that Amnon loved his half-sister Tamar, but it wasn't true love. It's lust, as we're going to see later on in the text very, very clearly. And here is Amnon, that he seems to have everything. He has a house. He has his own servants that attend to him. He has so much going for him. But he's a man that is full of lust, that is overtaking his life and a lust and an infatuation with his half-sister. Tamar was a very beautiful young lady. And he becomes sick He's sick. He's so distressed. In verse 2, he became sick. He wasn't eating, as we're going to see. He becomes thinner and thinner, as verse 4, as we see that he said to him, uh, Jonadab, why are you, the king's son, becoming thinner day after day? Will you not tell me? And he said, because I love Tamar, my brother, Absalom's sister. And you see, that's what sin does. It affects you in so many ways. It really does. I believe sin affects you spiritually, certainly, emotionally, and I think it will affect you even physically. And here was this young man that seemed to have it all, but his heart is so full of of lust and evil intent, as we're going to see, that it's affecting him, physically even. So here is this one, you know, a, a cousin of of amnon and and um he is a crafting individual as we just read but he's full of evil intent and he comes up with this plan in verse 5 so Jonadad said to him lie down on your bed and pretend to be ill and when your father comes to see you say to him please let my sister tamar come and give me food and prepare the food in my sight that i may see it and eat it from her hand And then Amnon lay down and pretended to be ill. And when the king came to see him, Amnon said to the king, Please let Tamar, my sister, come and make a couple of cakes for me in my hand and in my sight that I may eat from her. And David sent home to Tamar saying, Now go to your brother Amnon's house and prepare food for him. And so Tamar went to her brother Amnon's house and he was lying down. And then she took flour and and kneaded it and made cakes in his sight and baked the cakes. And she took the pan and placed them out before him, but he refused to eat. And then Amnon said, Have everyone go out from me. And they all went out from him. And then Amnon said to Tamar, Bring the food into the bedroom that I may eat from your hand. And Tamar took the cakes which she had made and brought them to Amnon, her brother, in the bedroom. So here is uh, this one, Jonadad, the cousin to Amnon, he he makes up this plan he says you pretend to be sick you tell your father to send your half sister Tamar to come and feed you so here is amnon he goes to david and says you know i'm sick can you send you know my sister Tamar to come and give me food and prepare the food for me and so as the plan is plotted out that's what she does david says you know what Tomorrow you go and you feed your brother, prepare some food for him, and you need to feed him. And so the plan is carried out. And we're going to see his real intent as we go into verse 11 and following. But a couple things that I want to mention here as we read this. I don't let David completely off the hook here. Because here is David. I think that he spoiled his children. And he indulged them. Here is his eldest son that has his own house. He has servants to attend him. And David's not paying real attention to what's going on here. And here's Amnon that says, you know, dad, can, uh, I'm not eating well. Can you send sister over to make me something and, and feed me? And, and if it was me, I would have said, you know, what's the deal here, son? Are you a baby or something that your sister has to feed you by hand? What's going on here? You have servants to attend to you and take care of you? Do you need to see a doctor? And the thing is, David didn't get suspicious about this. And I just want to say that parents and fathers particularly, that when your kids are coming and, and asking to go somewhere or to be involved in something, and something doesn't quite sound right, don't be afraid to ask questions about it because you are to be that protection and covering for them. And if you feel like that, maybe this isn't a good situation for them to go to or be involved in or be in this place, I'm not quite sure, don't be afraid to say no or to ask questions or look into it further. But sometimes I think we're so quick to say, yeah, just go ahead, And, and we hope that through life they don't get into problems or get into a bad situation. No, we need to do everything that we can to be a covering and a protection for them and to ask questions. And I think that as parents today that we see more and more that they just kind of don't have that discernment or just whatever, and I hope they do okay. I hope we do more than that as parents, that we are praying for them and that we're asking those questions and that we we say, listen, I'm only asking because I want to protect you. I want to know about the situation because I don't want you to be in a situation that can bring harm to you. Parents, don't be afraid to do that. And what we're going to see with David is David, that he, in a lot of ways, is a father to his children that he didn't fulfill his responsibilities to them in a way he could have and should have. And we're going to see that very clearly as we continue on. So here's Amnon, her brother, in the bedroom in verse 11. Now when she had brought them to him to eat, he took hold of her and said to her, Come lie with me, my sister. But she answered him, No, my brother, do not force me, for no such thing should be done in Israel. Do not do this disgraceful thing. And I, where could I take my shame? And as for you, you would be, like one of the fools in Israel. Now therefore, please speak to the king, for he will not withhold you from me. However, verse 14, he would not heed her voice, and being stronger than she, she for, he forced her to lay with her. So we see that she says, don't do this disgraceful thing. Don't do this or you'll be a fool. Talk to the king. She's only saying that so she can get out of this situation because the law said that he couldn't marry her, but he ends up raping her and committing this horrible crime against her and we see that in verse 15 that amnon then hated her exceedingly so that the hatred with which he hated her was greater than the love in which he had loved her and amnon said to her rise be gone and so she said to him no indeed this evil is sending me ways worse than the other that you did to me but he would not listen to her And then he called his servants who attended him and said, here, put this woman out away from me and bolt the door behind her. The fruit of lust, the hurt, the tragedy. And all of a sudden he hates her. And he treated her in such a horrible, evil way, doesn't he? You know, that's what lust does. There is that lust that is only concerned from what I can get from them. You see, true love is concerned in what I can give to them. Lust will put you out, love will take you in. And lust will leave you unsatisfied, discontent, and playing the fool. It is true love that's going to bring satisfaction and fulfillment. Because 1 Corinthians 13 says that love is patient, love is kind, love is self-control. It bears no evil. It doesn't rejoice in iniquity. You see, lust and love are opposite. And he didn't love her. He lusted for her. And then after he does this evil act, he's discontent. He puts her out. He ended up hating her because he was full of lust. You know, one of the things I want to give a little fatherly advice to any of you young people, that if you ever have, you young ladies, have a young man that you are in a relationship with and then he wants you to compromise. He wants you to compromise some way in morals or cause you to sin in some way, then you need to be careful and you need to get away from that relationship because you see love true love will not do that love will not cause you to sin and if that person and the other can be said too you young man that if you have a young lady that wants to do that that cause you to sin in a way where it's immoral then you need to understand that is not love and they can say to you oh i love you i want to do this that's not love it's lust because true love won't cause you to sin and if you really love somebody you're not going to cause that person to sin because of what you want. So be careful. Love is patient. And love is going to do what is right. And love is going to rejoice in the truth. And anyone who is a true friend, anyone that you know is going to show godly integrity and honesty is going to cause you to live in a way where you're not going to Sin are not going to pull you into sin or tempt you into sin. And so be careful. And so here was this one that, as we see Amnon doing this horrible thing in verse 18, is, As the door is bolted behind her, now she had a robe of many colors, for the king's virgin daughters wore such apparel. And a servant put her out and bolted the door behind her. Then Tamar put ashes on her head and tore her robe of many colors that was on her and laid her hand on her head and went away crying bitterly. And Absalom, her brother, said to her, Has Ammon, your brother, been with you? But now hold your peace, my sister. He is your brother. Do not take this thing to heart. So Tamar remained desolate in her brother Absalom's house. But when King David heard of all these things, he was very angry. And Absalom spoke to his brother Amnon, neither good nor bad, for Absalom hated Amnon because he had forced his sister Tamar. And so we see that... That Absalom, Tamar's sister, he knows something's up. And isn't it interesting that he suspects right away that it's Amnon? Did Amnon do this to you? And she goes to Absalom's house and stays there. David hears about this. He's angry about it, but notice he doesn't do anything about it. He doesn't do anything about it. You know, David was a great administrator. David was a great king, the greatest king that Israel ever had. He was a great warrior. I mean, sometimes I don't think we really fully comprehend how great of a warrior he was. He slew the giant Goliath. He's the one that they sang songs about, that David has slain his 10,000s. David was one that brought two hundred foreskins to the Philistines as a dowry when he married Michael. David was the kind of guy that... If you were his enemy and you came against David, he would come up and he'd give you a whipping. He would do you in. You didn't mess with David. He was very capable. He was one that brought the nation into great prosperity, and he was one that he did have a heart after God. But there's one area of his life that I see that he really fell short in, and that was in being a father to his children and bringing discipline to them. He did not bring discipline to them and we know that the scripture very clearly says that dads and moms you play a part of this of course you do that you are to raise up your children in the training and admonition of the lord and that is a responsibility that has been divinely given to us that we are to take very very seriously but also i want to leave you with this here is david that that he doesn't do anything about it and we're going to see that he's going to continue to ignore the situation here And one of the things that the scripture says, along with that fathers, not only are you to raise up your children in the training and admonition of the Lord, but don't provoke your children to wrath. You know, one of the ways that you can provoke your children to wrath, I'll tell you how. Not just when you're being harsh to them or coming down on them or picking on them. One of the ways that you can provoke your children to wrath is you ignore them. You ignore them. And you ignore the situations that they're in. And he ignored disciplining them, and talking with them, and dealing with their hearts. Because we're going to see that Absalom here is going to be very, very angry, and he's going to become very, very bitter, bitter. Which is going to lead to him wanting to come against his father David, because David ignored the situation and he ignored his children. And this situation is going to get worse. We can't ignore our children. And fathers and parents, grandparents, when we talk to our children, we need to really deal with their hearts. And David should have, have dealt with this situation. Why he didn't, I don't know. Maybe he was feeling guilty about his own sin with Bathsheba. Amnon was his eldest son. This was a crime that was punishable by death. Maybe David just thought it will just go away, but David didn't deal with it. And you see, we need to deal with their children when they find themselves and in, in sin, or they're going in the wrong direction, but you cannot ignore it. Discipline isn't the hard, easiest thing to do. It's a very hard thing to do. But it's a very necessary thing, because even as the Scripture declares that the Lord disciplines His children, that's you and me because of His love for us. Parents, don't ignore your children. And don't ignore situations that they're in that need to be dealt with. But you look to the Lord and fulfill the responsibility that we have as parents to be raising our children, disciplining our children in the ways of the Lord, and ask for his help. And as you do, you're going to find that the Lord's going to work and that you're going to find that there's going to be peace in your home. But the way to deal with things is not to ignore it because you're going to provoke them to wrath. When your kids feel like they're being ignored, They feel like that you don't care about a situation. That's when anger and bitterness and all that's going to build up. Dad doesn't care. I can just, just do whatever I want to. Mom doesn't care. They just ignore the situation. But you talk with them. You pray with them. You touch their hearts. You deal with their hearts. And you go to the Lord and you pray for your children. And you help them and you give them scripture. And you discipline them in the things of the Lord and the ways of the Lord raising them up, helping them. So vitally important. Father, we thank you for this time in your word. We thank you that, that Lord, as we see these stories that unfold before us, we are warned about sin and we're warned about different issues that that we can face in our lives. And Father, I pray that all of us here that, that we would understand that that it's a loving Father that says stay away from sin because of the consequences and the hurt. We're thankful for the forgiveness of sin. But Lord, we know that it has devastating effects. And not just us, but the people that are linked to us in our lives. And so Father, may we walk in a way that is pleasing to you and be safe as we don't despise the commandments of the Lord, the Lord walk in them. And Father, again, we're so thankful, Lord, that you desire to warn us through your word because you care for us, because we are beloved. Father, I pray for the parents that are here help us in raising our children in the ways of the Lord. that, That, Lord, it can be difficult in these days and so many issues that they face and temptations and voices that they hear. But Lord, may we give them the voice of the Lord and may we give them a voice of love And Lord, give us wisdom and deal in those situations that we need to bring instruction or correction or discipline, but not to ignore it. But we've been given a very important responsibility. We've been commissioned by the Lord to raise those children up in, in the ways of the Lord. So I pray for wisdom for every parent, for every grandparent as well. Help us in ministering to our children. Lord, give us wisdom and strength to do it and courage.